morning, Faith. My name is Todd Desjardins, and today we're going to be reading Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I think I forgot to turn my microphone on there for a second. Thank you, Todd. Appreciate the reading. And Todd, just proud of you and your family and how you're allowing the Lord to lead you and mature you and guide you and things and stuff. And so praying the Lord's blessings on you guys. Thank you also for uh, being relatable. I've been tripping over the word breastplate for two weeks now. I, if, if the things can't come out of my mouth. I'm always saying prate. So I don't know. Can't get it out. So you'll hear me do that. So thanks, Todd, for leading the way on that. Appreciate that. He's just trying to be relatable. This has been one of the most um, interacted with um, parts of a sermon series I feel like I've ever done. We, um, we, if you're not familiar with what we do here at Faith, we take one of the books of the Bible. The Bible is made of 66 individual books. And so we take one of those books and we... We study it from start to finish and it takes, you know, a long time to get through them. And so this particular study is in Ephesians, which is towards the end of the Bible in the New Testament. And we've been on this for um, about a year now and we'll be wrapping up soon. But as we come to the end with all of the incredible things that Ephesians has tackled for us and brought to light and addressed in our lives and in our real worlds, um, this has been one of the more interactive weeks I've had with other teachers of the Bible in our church, um, just other people that are in our church that have experienced um, a lot of the things in which this passage talks about. Um, the staff and I had a great time talking about some of these elements and me starting to understand how much of this is being taught throughout the church from our kids ministry on in Blast on Thursday nights. Uh, Miss Janet's been teaching through the armor of God or starting to. I think they're getting ramped up on this. Pastor Gary and youth group has been teaching on the armor of God for a while. And so um, I was able to glean some of, of the things that they've been studying. And it's neat to have the kids in with us this morning, be able to see how much of this will start to prep them from what they'll hear or remind them of what they've heard. And then the, the teenagers as well. Um, 
And then, of course, just talking with some of our other leaders and things about this. The reason why I bring all this up is is not just to show you, okay, there's a lot coordinated going on here, but also just to let you know that I I see things like that, and it's an indication to me that the Lord is doing something bigger than my control, bigger than my comprehension, and particular when it comes to this particular part of the scriptures, which talks about defending ourselves against the attacks that come from a world we don't see. Uh, so when I see that kind of thing and I hear that kind of thing, I say, okay, there's something bigger on the move here. And these kinds of instructions resonate uh, well with God's people that you pay attention to this kind of instruction because it matters because of the things you go through. And it shows me that there's a level of, of, of uh, Christian maturity that recognizes that the difficulty you might be going through in your life isn't just because you're, you're um, you know, quote unquote, married to the wrong person or you have the wrong job or you've gave birth to the wrong kids, you know, <laughs> that it isn't just those kinds of things that you're struggling with, but because and it was something that um, that Pastor Tom had referred to earlier when we were talking about the upcoming marriage conference and that idea of when sinners say I do, a marriage is made up of two sinful people, not just because they made mistakes or had sin happen, but because that's what they are by nature coming into this arrangement. So when that's going on behind the scenes, there's a lot of material for the enemy to work with because of what we have going on within us and within the people that we love and share our lives with or the people that we work for or that work for us. And so it's just an indicator to me that there's a lot going on with this particular passage of scripture in my Attempt this morning will be to spend more time in Bible verses than sometimes we do. It'll feel at points a little bit more like a Bible study uh, compared to what might feel like a normal sermon on a normal Sunday at faith. But here's the reminders we get started. You and I are in a spiritual battle that will not let up until we are home in heaven with the Lord. This is a, a, a harken back to the verse that we studied last week in verse 12 of Ephesians 6. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's within all of us a desire to just want the battle to be over. Even the hardest soldier, even the one who's most equipped for the fight would like a little downtime once in a while. And so there's this, there's this urge in us as Christians, like to want some heaven here, to want some relief and some respite from the fight now. That's why we're drawn to this version of, of Christian imagery. You might see it a lot in Facebook and things that kind of sums up what a real devotional life looks like for the Lord is with that perfect cup of coffee and probably the little heart in the top of your latte with the open folded Bible and everything. And we see an image like that. We're like, oh man, I haven't had a moment like that in forever. I haven't had the ability to just sit and block out the world and, and saturate my mind and my heart with the word of God or those kinds of things come few and far between or every time I think I'm going to start that habit, some other thing comes and invades that space or gets me out of kilter. And so we have to understand that there's a version of that that we're drawn to. We just want that peace and just let up from the battle. Just does everything have to be about engaging with swords and spears and making sure I'm wearing the right protective armor. But the reminder 
is that we're in a spiritual battle that will not let up until we're home. In fact, I think that the church advances forward as we start to embrace that reality rather than just continuing to hope for this thing that has not been made available to us yet. I know it's exhausting to think about, but it's encouraging to know what's really going on. Remember, Paul at the time was also talking to people that were in situations that they would otherwise change. In the context of what we're reading here, he had already been talking to slaves who were answering to slave owners. And rather than just ginning them up on a possibility or a protest of, hey, escape this or stand up to the man and just feel good about your rights, even though their situation probably in reality wasn't going to change for some time. He felt it was best to engage in the reality in which they were living in to give them a greater purpose than just the one that was kind of teasing them, the one that they couldn't quite get their own personal freedoms or were out from that burden. Instead, the gospel was was shaping the person or the believer within the difficult context. And it's also important to remember what we're talking about here, especially in the book of Ephesians, is that Paul is leading us to engage in the battle for unity's sake. He said in verse in uh, chapter four, he was setting up the whole second part of his letter with these words in the beginning of chapter four. He says, as Paul, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, for the last couple of weeks, I've been saying that the letter we approached it initially looked like two halves, right? We had the wealth of the resources that we have in Christ. And then he was going to get practical from chapters four forward in what we do with our lives. How do we live? How do we conduct ourselves based on the resources and the riches that we have in Christ? Then last week we said we could kind of split second half into another section that was called warfare. So you've got, because the theologians love their alliterations, you have wealth, walk, and warfare. And that's how we are saying we could see the, the, the text broken out. But the important thing to remember here is the whole letter is aiming towards the unity, the building together of the church of Jesus Christ. So even though we've come into a third section, he's not saying, oh, now I want to talk to you about spiritual warfare. He's saying, how does spiritual warfare affect your walk together? And what resources do you have in your wealth to be able to engage in this warfare? So again, the whole letter is connected. His theme is continuous. It's just shifting into a a heavier gear, if you will, to, to pull the curtain back and say, this is why it's so difficult for us to do this well, because of all that's going on in the spiritual, in the spiritual realm. So this is how he starts to introduce it through the imagery of a soldier, the armor and the uh, the equipment that a soldier would wear and use. And so we are getting it into these armor pieces bit by bit. It's helpful language, not just for us. We can picture what soldiers look like. We can even go back in our movie images and other uh, kinds of things to be able to imagine what a soldier would look like then. But Paul is probably looking at the soldier he's describing. In the, in the uh, imprisonment that he has, not necessarily that he's chained to somebody who has all of that protective gear, but it's definitely in his realm. 
So he's seeing the soldier pieces of this armor move around all the time. He's, he's locked down. He's imprisoned for his faith, not because he's done anything wrong. And not only that, but it's helpful because the culture was used to seeing these soldiers walk around. As you and I can picture our own U.S. military and think about how they would look and what their uh, uniforms would be and everything, it was right in their faces. So it was a very helpful analogy for him to use in a good way for them to break down piece by piece. What are the things that we need to be equipped with that Paul is spelling out to us? And, and a bit of a side note here is that this armor, probably not really a side note, it's probably an essential point here, is that this armor is not of our own design and manufacturing. We've already seen, I think it was last week, that we went into the temptation of Jesus as he was, the scripture says, he was led into the wilderness for 40 days without food for the purpose of enduring tests and temptations of his enemy who is Satan. And Jesus was wearing this very same armor, especially what we're going to talk about today with being the belt of truth and the breastplate, I said it right, of righteousness. We saw in the interaction where Satan was lobbing these attempts to get Jesus off mission and say, hey, if you do this, I'll give you this. If you do that, I'll give you that. And we said to Jesus, in hindsight, they looked like ridiculously simple temptations of like, it'd be like, you know, going up to somebody who's got all the money in the world and say, hey, do you want to make 10 bucks? No, I don't care about making 10 bucks. I've got enough. I don't need to be led off of mission. To Jesus, the temptation looked like nothing. But to you and I, there were very real temptations. We needed one stronger, more capable, more equipped than us to withstand those temptations. And then what does he do? He gives it to us as an inheritance. Chapters one through three, all that we've been given by Jesus are the things that he's earned, the things that he has in his godness, in his righteousness. And he says, now that you're in me, you get all of those things. So now those big temptations for us get shrunk into these ridiculous little offering somebody 10 bucks when they've got millions. This is how Paul is bringing all of this together. This weaponry, this armor is what Jesus used. He responded to the temptations with truth. He he said it's written in the word of God that you shall not do X, Y, and Z. And he he steps forward and earns that righteousness. He displays his own righteousness and earns it for all of us by staying truthful and staying pure through it all. So let's get into our text. Two short verses for us today, but of course, packed in with a lot of truth. And what I'd like to do is to read verse 13 and then just start to explain some of the words and phrases in there to set the tone for where we're going. So in verse 13, Paul says, therefore, because we've established all of this, because it's a battle that's being fought that we very seldom see, but is happening in the spiritual realm, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And then he's going to start that next phrase with stand again. So obviously a big emphasis of Paul here is that we stand our ground. And how do we do that? He's saying that we need to take up our armor. This is this is uh, assume it for yourself or ready yourself. There's a military voice of urgency. You know, it's not like, you know, if, if you're going for a basic training of which I've never been. So please, uh, those of you that have, please uh, forgive me for not having the personal experience. 
But those that are in that kind of barracks and environment, when the, when the drill sergeant come in, he says, he's not saying, hey, if you would, if you find space in your life, if you want to have that balance that would do what your general's asking, you might want to hop to it and get out of bed and set things straight and tidy up your shoes and get things laced up and things like that. That's not the way he comes in talking, right? A drill sergeant is known for the urgency of his voice and gets action just like that. There's no hesitation. There's no expectation that we can make up our own minds when we get to it. And Paul is coming at them with the same kind of voice. He's like, take it up. Four in the morning, the bugle's blowing. Let's get up. Let's get moving. Don't you think sometimes, most of the time, in our Christian walk, in the day and age in which we live where there's so many options, choices, entertainments, that we do treat it as optional, Hey, we should get into that Ephesians 6 armor thing at some point, figure out how to get us some of that. Yeah, we'll get around to it. We'll study it. When Jesus says, let's move, we're like, okay, we're praying about it, thinking about it, not going to fast over it. I went through that last week, right? There's a military voice urgency that Paul is using. Hop to it. Get out of bed. Present yourself ready. Don't waste any time. And while you're putting on armor, it's all of it. It's the whole armor, the full set. It's not piecemeal. Again, I have to pick on our cultural mindset, not not from all of them out there, but me in my own kind of human shell here that I treat so many of the things that the Lord would have for me that he's calling me to, that he's using that drill sergeant voice with at times. I treat as optional. I look at, well, the, 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 you know, the, the, the righteousness part I want to wear and stuff. But when you're talking about this over here, and I don't know, I'm not really called to that yet. He's saying, this is a full set of armor that I'm going to lay out for you. If you want to be in the battle, then you're going to put all of this on. Both defensively and offensively, there are all of these pieces listed for us in this text. To do what with? To withstand, to oppose, to resist that which is pushing in against us. So what is our calling? Our calling is to have a lean forward position. That we're just holding something back that is trying to push in on us. To hold our position. The the instructions are simple, aren't they? They're just very difficult to do. And then Paul says that we'd be able to withstand in the evil day and... I know that that might sound like he's referring to one specific day and maybe one in particular in the future. But really what's meant by that phrase is when your life is at its worst. When when the day seems like this is about as evil as it's ever going to get for me. In that moment, and how many of those do we have in life, right? Every time we think, can't get any worse, somehow something finds a way to make it just a little bit worse. But the experience is, I'm glad I was armored up in that moment where I felt like it couldn't get any worse. Because another day is coming and now my armor's tested. Now I have faith that it will help me resist, stand, or lean against the attack that's coming my way. And so it's an evil day because it's the worst I could ever imagine. And it's happening to me right now. So when we stand firm, we're abiding we're, we're continuing, we're establishing ourselves, our feet are ready and dug in. Paul is giving us a language here of stability for the believer. I don't know how stable you feel in life. I don't know how often you feel like you're standing on shaky ground, but this is where all of this changes. 
the weapons of the world, the weapons of our flesh, the weapons of our history, all the things that we think will do battle against the attacks that we get often are the very same things that are causing us to be weak need and losing our ground. So we establish ourselves by taking up the whole armor of God. So let's break down this armor a couple of pieces this week and move forward in the coming weeks. The first thing I'd like you to be thinking about this morning is that your only stability comes from being wrapped in truth. He had said to us in verse 14, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. And so now as we look at what this belt is, I probably should have found a picture of a good depiction of it or something, but it's a leather belt that would wrap around and hold an otherwise very loose tunic, which is the clothing of the day. It was sort of like the main garments that would swing loose and they didn't have slim fit in those days and there wasn't going, they weren't going to the tailor and getting these. So it was kind of like a, a one size or maybe a different lengths or something for different heights. But the general idea is that the tunic, the part that you lived in for daily comfort was a little bit loose fitting and was able to be comfortable in throughout the day. And you had to make adjustments depending on the situations you found yourself in. If you were going to work or war, you better cinch that thing up and tighten it up or else you're not going to be able to move. You're going to trip over yourself because of the looseness of that clothing. So a belt, as a belt does for us today, is it was meant to keep things in place, to tighten up, to create better mobility to prepare us better for action. It was also used to a place to hang your sword and to have that ready to go. So again, truth is being wrapped around the individual in a way that is creating readiness, that is preparing you for action. And the belt is being used to hold together all the critical elements of the soldier's whole attire. So Paul starts with this because it all hinges on its ability to keep everything together. We surrender to the truth first and foremost. As we've talked about how we build this church and unite this church and lead this church into its future and everything, if we depart from the truth, then most likely everything's going to start coming unraveled, unhinged, and we're not going to be mobile. We'll be tripping over ourselves. And you can say the same will be true in your own personal life as well. So if this is so critical, we better know what the truth is. And in the outline, if you're looking at all in your notes or following along, which is on the opposite side of the colorful announcement sheet you got coming in, you might see a funny little pattern here to the outline where it's, you know, Christ's truth and then secondly, your truth. And then hopefully that's making a few warning bells go off in, in your in your mind. I'm like, what do you mean my truth? And then the second thing is Christ's righteousness and then your righteousness as subcategories under that. Because we have to start with what is truth. It's who Jesus is. It's what he stood for. It's what he came to proclaim to the world in which he ministered. We're referring to the truth of who Jesus is. What did he say when he proclaimed who he was? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And of course, he demonstrated that truth and lived out that truth in front of us. So Paul's already referenced the truth in the letter, and this is part of the Bible study portion. We're going to look back a little bit historically in what we've studied, which I'm sure is the top of everybody's mind. If I say, what does Ephesians 1.13 say? You'll say, oh, I remember that. We were probably in that last March, right? No, I know. I know how it is. 
I have to go back and look these things up too. So don't, don't feel bad. But in Ephesians 1.13, Paul presents it as this is the truth of the gospel. This is the good news that we've been given, captured. That is what truth is. So in verse 13, it says, <clears throat> excuse me, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So the truth is a thing. And what is that thing? It's the news that's rescued us. That Jesus lived a perfect life for us, born in the flesh, though he did not have to be, very God born in the flesh, lived a perfect life to to live the goodness that we couldn't do, we can't seem to ever provide, and then died sacrificially for us to pay for all the non-good that we produce in our lives or the sin that we have in us. Jesus died for that. And of course, the news didn't end there. It wasn't just good news. It's great news because he beat that death as we prayed earlier in our worship time. That he beat that death and conquered the grave. And now he has forgiven those who will come and bow their hearts and their knees before him and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin and change me and transform me from the inside out. I want you to lead me. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. And that's what he does. This is the truth of what really has happened and continues to happen. A little bit later in chapter 4, verse 21, Paul says, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So when we say, well, what is truth? Truth has a name and it's Jesus. So we're being called to be ready in truth, to be wrapped up like the belts going around us and that's truth wrapped around us. Why? For our own stability so that we have our armor held tight and together so that we can stand our ground and not be taken off of our, our, off balance. But also to be ready to move quickly, to be agile. Let let me just take a, a, a silent inventory. Don't respond to this, but just think about How many times something has prompted your movement where you're like, I really want to do this for the Lord, but you felt held back because of what? I don't think I'm in the right space. I just don't feel ready, good enough. I don't think I have the resources for that. I don't think. And we talk ourselves out of being mobile because we are distant from something. We are removed from something. And what Paul is saying is you're being removed from the truth of who Jesus is. And who he is in you. So we talk ourselves out of it or we don't feel ready to move because of sin we've allowed in our lives or things that we've allowed creep in and clutter our schedules and our times and our preoccupations and things. So we just can't do the thing that that our hearts are being nudged or compelled or pulled to do. That's what happens when we're not wrapped tight in truth. When we need it most on that evil day, will we be agile enough to respond to it? So I said your truth. Point B. Is this the subjective truth of the world? Is this the truth that everybody says, well, I'm speaking my truth now? Which really is just another way of saying my experience. And what they're saying is my experience trumps what you think is true. You might say that's true, but that's not what my experience has told me. So my experience is now supposed to be more important than objective truth. Is that really what I'm saying when I say that it's your truth? No, it's it's different. I, I was uh, looking through something that Pastor Gary had put together for youth group a little while ago. 
and had asked the teens to think through this idea of whether or not it's just our truth versus objective truth. And so I think it was something, some kind of snack item or something that could be contained in a bowl or in a tray or something. And the question was, um, uh, what's true? Like, I want you to guess how many, um, and I'm going to botcher this, uh, Pastor Gary, just do something else, check your smartphone or something like that. But um, uh, guess how many uh Pretzels, something like that. How many pretzels are in this container? Because there was an actual number, right? And on the other side of the equation, I want you to tell me what your favorite song is. And so there's answers for both of those. Which one was truth was the question. Well, your truth or your experience is really subjective. If, if you're just picking what song you like, you're just giving an opinion, And I don't have to like your song. It's not the best song in the world to me. But what's in this container is a legit number that has, I I know you get this, but again, this is how we slip in our thinking. We don't realize that the things that we're saying really are operating in two different worlds, that truth is really something you can put your hand on and that there's a known fact to be able to answer a question. Truth is truth whether we know the answer or not. So no, we're not referring to a subjective truth of your truth versus my truth. What we're referring to is the truth that you are called and equipped to live out based on the truth of who Jesus is. You and I do have, quote unquote, a truth to live out. We are to be walking in it. We are to be exercised in truth. Again, Paul had given us a a hint of this in verse 15 of chapter 4. When he was speaking about the things that we are supposed to know, sort of the doctrinal breakdown of all that God is and what he's doing. Verse 15, it says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Truth in that regard is is pointing us towards the spiritual maturity, the growing up into something that is objective. There's an end goal. What's the end goal? Looking and acting and living like Jesus. It's a real thing. Another place in the same chapter, later on in chapter four, he's pointing towards a different aspect of it. But again, the the truth that we live out in verse 24, he says, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So there is this level of real righteousness and holiness that you and I don't get to define. Well, my, my level of righteousness or purity or something looks like this. It may not be the same as yours. I understand there's gray area. Don't get me wrong. But when we're looking at Jesus, there's no gray area. He is truth and righteousness. He is holiness. Therefore, in verse 25, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. In chapter 5, verse 9, he says, For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Uh, Jeremy Jones uh, was speaking on this when we were talking about living in light, that light is representative of truth, that you and I are called to walk and live in the existence of truth, which is not a given, is it? For Christians or for churchgoers or for people who call themselves believers in Christ. That there is a lot of deceit out there. And, and even Paul said this is the tactic of our great enemy because Satan is the great deceiver. He's going to use those half-truths. He's going to take some elements of truth that you know he's got you on. 
and he's going to over-exaggerate. He's going to blow it out. Because you did this 28 years ago, therefore God could never forgive, and he'll fill in all those blanks, and we get drawn into that going, yeah, I guess he's right. I'm stuck. He's the father of lies, Jesus says. John Stott says, to be deceitful, to lap into hypocrisy, to resort to intrigue and scheming, this is to play the devil's game. And we shall not be able to beat him at his own game. It breaks my heart, it baffles my mind how I see so many ministries conducting themselves this way, being deceitful, trying to raise more dollars. People at the top of great financial empires, supposedly under the banner of the name of Christ, being hypocritical, uh, resorting to intrigue and scheming, all the things here that Stott is warning against, buying right into the devil's hands. And what happens eventually? It gets exposed. What happens eventually? The empire crumbles. We are to walk in truth. We are to conduct ourselves in truth. I'll tell you, the first time I learned a word that probably so many of you just know and it's part of your vocabulary, but I never understood what the word candor meant. And um, it was one I guess I had uh, you know, come across from time to time and stuff, but somewhere in my late 20s, I was working um, in a field uh, before coming here to ministry. And um, I remember having uh, something I needed, I owed a customer. And this guy was managing some uh, firm or something like that somewhere in the in the Mideast coast. And um, I owed him something and I completely botched something. I made some massive mistake. And, and, and these guys were, had, they had teams of people relying on us. They had meetings that were scheduled and things that had to happen. And these were supposed to turn into projects for our consultants that would result in hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of work and stuff. So there was a lot of pressure of getting these things right. And so I'm sort of like an entry level dude and I'm kind of being customer service minded and all these things. And I just made a mistake and stepped in it and kind of blew out this whole um, opportunity. And I, we were afraid we were going to lose a customer that had been with us for years and years. And it was branching off into other areas and the pressure of like, oh, and I knew what I'd done. And I'm not sharing this example just because it has a good outcome. I'm sharing this example because I want you to know that my very first thought was, how can I cover this up? Like, is there somebody else I can blame for this? Or maybe it was just a, 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 a some other kind of error that anybody would make. Now, I'd, you know, been raised in church my whole life, raised by Christian parents, surrounded by Christian family and friends heard the Bible, been through this text numerous times in my church growing up. I knew what was going on in my heart. I knew the outcomes logically, and this never works well. The empires always crumble. So I had to think about it for a day or two. It wasn't like I had to immediately respond to this thing, but I, I eventually just decided... <laughs> probably through a lot of conviction and pressure to go against what my flesh wanted to do to just kind of own up to it, to the guy. And so I called him and I'm just going to call his name Stan because, you know, I need a name. It wasn't his and stuff. And I called him and I said, Stan, look, I said, I got to let you know the reason why we're in this mess is I've thought about it and I've 
you know, reviewed it and everything is I made a couple of mistakes here. I missed a couple of deadlines and now you guys are being asked to kind of carry, you know, hold the weight of this, even though I, I blew it on you. I'm sitting there going, I'm done. You know, like he's going to call my supervisor. They'll say, okay, look, you had a good run. You're out. Um, and, and he said, he, he just kind of, I wonder if this guy's a believer, but like without skipping a beat, he says, Brent, I really appreciate your candor. So I'm like, I don't know what that word is. <laughs> I, I still don't know if I'm in trouble or if I just got rewarded for something. But his tone sounded pleasant, sounded like I was starting to get off the hook. So I ran with it, never savvy with t- taking advantage of the moment. And I was like, well, thank you. Uh, and I just want to know if what, what you think I can do to make this right. I want you to know I've already spoken to my manager and they're aware of this and everything like that. So I'm not trying to sweep this under the rug, that kind of thing. Well, what resulted was a few months later, him calling me and say, I have a position open here in Baltimore. I was wondering if you'd consider taking it. And I didn't take it. Um, but the fact that this is what the Lord was showing me. My first reaction was, how can I make this better for me? How can I protect myself? How can I find some shades of truth or even a bold-faced lie that will protect me and take care of me? The whole time what the Lord wanted me to see is you walk in truth, you engage in truth. I've got your back. Don't worry about it. And it was a very sobering, humbling, and personally embarrassing lesson for me to learn that I could have just started with that and been okay. But I went through that whole, I mean, for days I was wrestling with, do I say it? Do I not? In order to be victorious in battle, you need an honest assessment of who you are. You need to know what the resources are that are at your disposal. You need to know your own strengths. You need to know your own deficiencies and own them and say, I'm just not good at this. I I might be good at some other things. I've taken an honest assessment, but this thing over here, this plagues me. I'm not good at it. It's taking an honest assessment, walking in truth and saying, Lord, do with what I have and what I don't have. Do more than I can ask or think. Show up in incredible ways to do these things in my life for your glory and not for mine. Now, remember, we said that Paul was leading us towards unity in all of these things. How does truth lead us towards unity? And I think some of these applications might seem obvious, but I'm never shy to state the obvious. So let's go into it. How is unity aided by our knowing, speaking, our living the truth? Well, truth keeps us open with other people. It tears down barriers. I just shared with you something that was an embarrassing skeleton in my closet. As people do that with one another, they go, I might be able to talk to that person about what I'm going through. That's what happens because they understand. Truth truth unites us under a common standard. My truth isn't the thing that's leading the way. You know I surrender to the same truth that you surrender to because that's what truth is. So it unites us under a banner and brings us closer to one another because I'm not in it for my own purposes or my own schemes. Truth disarms the combative. You ever been in a situation with somebody where they're just ready for a fight and you're just like, yeah, I'm guilty. Sorry, you're, you're absolutely right. Would you forgive me? And they're like, oh, come on, I wanted to fight more about this. You gave in too quick. That's what truth does. But it also encourages the one who's struggling. 
And aren't we all struggling in some way, shape, or form in our lives? And when we live in truth and we are allowing ourselves to be exposed in the truth, it encourages the one who is struggling, thinking all of those lies they keep hearing all throughout the week, all the things that the enemy's rehearsing in their heads are all true. And then you hear somebody else speak real truth into the situation and there's some refreshment, some encouragement, and a weight is lifted. All right, in just a few more minutes, let's move into second, the second point here. So our own stability comes from standing, being wrapped in the truth, but our own stability also comes from being protected by righteousness. The second half of verse 14, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. This was a, a neck to thigh piece of metal covering the front and back, uh, covering all of the vital organs, if you will referred to often as the heart protector. It was a very important piece of, of equipment that, again, if the belt isn't in its proper place and that doesn't fit well and doesn't stay secure. And the breastplate of righteousness is, of course, the righteousness of Jesus. This is the perfection of Jesus that he lived out in human flesh before all of history to see. And this is the assurance... This is the truth part of this. This is the assurance that we are right with God through Jesus. Even though we haven't been right a day in our life. You think about how we got there. How did we get this piece of armor that there's no way we could have earned on our own? Romans 3, 23 and 24. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This righteousness or rightness, if you're not used to using the word righteousness in everyday language, it's really what it's referring to, this purity, this cleanliness, this untainted by sinness of Jesus, his perfection. And you and I, we know it's like, there's no way I would ever achieve that perfection. But it's what's been given to us, what's been graced to us, gifted to us. And so again, we have a righteousness as well, but it isn't one of our own subjective making. It's the righteousness that we're to live out based on what we're given. Chapters one through three, the wealth and the resources now moving into our walk. This is the manner of our conduct that is right before God and others. What chips away at our armor, what weakens it is our, our conscious, willful, our habitual sin that we allow in our lives that we continue to feed like a tiny little monster that just wants to grow and grow and grow. What that does is that loosens that armor, that, that loosens that belt. Things start to become unraveled. The chips start to chip away on our armor and stuff because we're not wearing it to the extent that we were, uh, that it was given to us. Because we continue to allow those things to be present in our lives. And of course, what we're doing is we're giving the enemy an entry point for harm. He sees our weak areas. So what's our defense? Our defense is, as we've said, it's the truth and righteousness that come together at this point in every believer's life, which is confession. Just owning up to what's really going on, owning up to who I've been, what I've done is this kind of thing that makes the enemy just kind of push away and run and flee because he hears us saying to the Lord, guilty as charged. 
in me, in my flesh, in my history, in my actions, I am guilty, but in your righteousness and your cleanliness and your purity that you've given to me, I am free from all of these attacks, all of these lies, all of these things that are moving in to knock me off my ground. If you don't have a regular confession in your life, you need to start incorporating that. Well, it seems awfully negative. It seems awfully mopey, but that's not where it stays. An honest assessment of who I am, what I've done, what I'm prone to is honesty and humility and it lays bare before God and it welcomes an ushering in, if you will, of his righteousness, his covering over us. It says, but you're not the performer that I've based your salvation on. I didn't give you salvation because you were good enough. I gave you salvation because my son was good enough. This is why we need to know the truth. If you're just going by Christian feelings, feelings are going to fail you because those lies are heavy. Your history is heavy. All those things that come back to freak you out and to weigh you down, they speak much, much louder than if you if you have just a, a weak understanding of what's in the scripture. If you don't know truth, if truth isn't in your ear and in your mind, those whispers get louder and louder and they start to become shouts in your life. Truth starts pushing those things out. So how does righteousness, the righteousness of this breastplate, bring us together? How does it create in us a unity? Well, because we're becoming people who aren't claiming any goodness in and of ourselves. We're humbling ourselves before each other, which what do we always say sometimes about Christian cultures and churches and stuff like that, that they're hypocritical or they're judgmental, they're self-righteous. And we're saying, well, we're pushing that out of our lives because I don't have any self-righteous that I can stand on. There's nothing in me that I'd go around boasting about, bragging about, looking down on you over. Confessing personal sins, and yes, sometimes collectively, in front of somebody else. Are you kidding me? No. Confessing personal sin keeps the collective armor secure. If I'm not being privately who you think I'm supposed to be publicly, what am I doing to the weakness of our church and ministry? This isn't just me. It's not just on the pastor. How are all of us, if we are allowing those attacks from the enemy and we're giving into that sin and everything, how are we weakening the collective armor of the body of Christ? This has shown up in numerous um, situations in the scriptures. If you're familiar with the story of Achan in the time of Joshua, there was sin in the camp is what it's also often referred to. And so battles were lost because of the sins of individuals. These things happen. This righteousness, this purity that we live by. We're asking the Lord to protect us from all of the attacks of the enemy. If you've ever had like a, a problem with, you know, I'm thinking of like businesses with dumpsters and stuff. Like you had a problem with rats and different things like that. There's a couple of ways of dealing with that, I guess. I'm not an expert in this. But, you know, you could just fortify the area around the trash. You just make the, the gates more secure. You dig down in the ground, but rats are pretty resourceful, right? They find ways in. They keep, or another way is getting rid of the garbage. If there's nothing for them to feed on or be interested in, they find another location. This is what we're talking about with living out a righteousness that is ours in Christ. We're not giving the rats of the enemy in the spiritual world anything to feed off of. There's no interest in continuing to find a way to penetrate those barriers because there's not enough garbage there to, to really sink our teeth into. 
So let's wrap this up. As believers, we have an opportunity for a stability that most in this world would only dream of. And Jesus' victory on the cross has afforded us the greatest armor known to the world. The greatest weaponry that's available to give us that stability is ours in Jesus. That's what he's earned. And as we learn to walk in truth, we'll gain a sure footing for the attacks and the shackles that Satan attempts to put on us every single day. Didn't Jesus tell us that if we know the truth, the truth will set us free? And as we hide behind the righteousness of Christ, we can withstand every blow against us because we're not standing on our own flimsy merit. I want to give you just a caution here. Don't think that you're just sitting waiting for a battle to happen and when the battle comes, then you'll be ready to stand if you're not preparing in the downtime. We came across a stat and something that we shared in our volunteer appreciation thing this week was, was this idea that the military has wear usage uh, measured for uh, their shoes, their combat boots, both in wartime and in peacetime. And there wasn't a great difference in how long a military boot would work in wartime as it was in peacetime. It lasted a little bit longer in peace because you can't always simulate every aspect of war. But they were almost just as busy in peacetime preparing for wartime. This is, I think, what Paul is getting at us here is that there are times and seasons of our lives where we can feel like, okay, not being constantly attacked. It finally feels good. I, I can breathe a little bit. If we start slacking off and say, I'm going to distance myself from the truth or I'm not going to visit the righteousness of Christ or live righteously myself, I'm going to take a break. You know, like the, like the Proverbs say, a little, little nap, a little folding of the hands, a little laying back here like this and relaxing is when destruction comes in. We need each other. We need each other to help us stay firm in the truth and to be confident in righteousness. This is not a solo effort battle. If you're trying to win this war on your own, you will lose. And there's no need for it because those of us here that want to do this life with other people are ready to carry that burden with you. So don't neglect yourself and don't neglect the glory of God by doing this in isolation. That's the unity that Paul is leading us towards. Could I have you stand, please, and let's pray, and we'll continue in song. Lord God, the privilege is ours to walk in this armor and to have inherited all of this by your, by your grace and your mercy. Lord, every week we come into this room or maybe we have to check in on a screen and we are constantly being reminded by the enemy of the ways in which we don't measure up. But that doesn't throw you off. You came in to give us measure because we don't measure up. So thank you, Lord. The privilege is ours to walk in that grace and completeness. And so, Lord, help us to not be so hung up or distracted by the whispers or by the memories or the things that plague us. Instead, let us know the truth that you are a forgiving God and that you are an equipping God. May we know you to even greater extent this week. Bless those, Lord, that are going through particular struggles of perhaps health, or financial challenge, or familial uh, relationships and different things that are uh, just really hard to bear right now, Lord, I pray that you would use them in the midst of the attack to shine your glory, to bring them purpose, Lord, in it. 
And for those that are at peacetime, those that have more options than others, Lord, I pray that you would help them to use that time wisely to prepare and to know, Lord, that we never stray far from you, whether at war or at peace. So thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. Thank you for the availability that we get to learn and study. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.